So this semester, during this time, we are going to be reading um, the letter to the church in Ephesus, or it's called Ephesians in, in the Bible. And we're going to be studying this, this letter together, and this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in the middle of the first century. And specifically, we're going to read some sections from this letter together, and my hope is that together we're going to see how it actually speaks into our cultural moment and into your lives. Um, so as we get started tonight, I want you to turn to your neighbor and, and answer this question, um, and it's going to be easy since you've already written it on your shirt. Um, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up, and why? So turn to your neighbor, introduce yourself if you don't know them. When you were a kid, what do you want to be when you grew up, and Why? <laughs> I think it's interesting. Well, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. I think there's a couple other astronauts in the room. Um, woo! Uh, space exploration. Um, when I was, I think it's interesting that when we answer this question, um, we always answer it with a noun and not a verb, right? It, it always becomes an identity question and not a work question. Like one of you, when you were a kid, you wanted to be a fire truck, right? Like that's a thing. That's not a job. Like we, um, it, it ends up being this identity thing. It's not just about work. So in our house, we've got three small children, seven, four, and one. And the two that we hear most often, Leo, our seven-year-old, wants to be a Lego designer. And Mary Landon, our four-year-old, wants to be a princess ballerina doctor. So she's ambitious to get the trifecta. I mean, that's a lot of... Um, all right, so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about identity. So what is identity? Um, identity is at least two things. First, identity consists of a sense of self that is durable. So you live in many arenas at life, at, at once in life. You are part of a family, you're a friend, you're a student, sometimes you're alone in solitude. And to have an identity is to have something that is sustained, that is true of you in every setting. All right, something that's true, about, true of you in every setting you're in. Otherwise, there would be no you. There would only be the masks that you wear for every, occasion, for every occasion and no actual face behind them. So your identity is what does not change from place to place. Identity consists of a sense of self, and it also consists of, consists of a sense of worth. It's an assessment of your own value. Right? We all want desperately to matter and to have a sense of worthiness. So identity is a sense of self, a sense of worth, and a secure identity says this. It says, there is a me... And I matter. When I was a kid, um, I don't know if this was around by the time y'all were kids, but did you guys have choose-your-own-adventure books? Okay, so if you're unfamiliar with choose-your-own-adventure books, they were great. So it went like this. It's like Johnny is walking in the woods, and he sees a sleeping bear. What should he do? If you want him to kick the bear, turn to page 37. If you want him to walk past the bear, turn to page 20. All right, so what you do is you're like, well, I want him to get kicked by the bear. So you flip to page 37, and you read, Johnny got mauled by the bear. But you keep your finger in the page so you can go back to page 20 and see what happens if you walk past. Um, and these books were great because they put you in charge of the narrative. Like, you were in charge of how the story... It's like the new Black Mirror movie that came out on Netflix, right? You're somehow in charge of the story as it unfolds. And today we have an entire cultural narrative of choose your own identity. Right? Our cultural narrative around identity is choose your own identity. We're told you're in charge of who you want to be. Um, I was on my wife's Instagram account today, and there's this video from Mary Landon, our four-year-old, three years ago. So it was like right before she turned two, and she's barely discernible singing, and she's singing Let It Go from Frozen. And um, 
I don't know why, but this song is intoxicating for very small children. Like they memorize it and it gets stuck and they just sing it on repeat. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the lyrics, I'm going to read some of them to you. I'm not going to sing it. Um, I might, don't let them in. Don't. <laughs> don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. Princess Elsa from Frozen, she's captured the modern, secular, Western mindset perfectly. Autonomy, authenticity, individuality, freedom. And while this choose-your-own-identity promises so much, it promises you freedom, promises you authenticity, it promises you individuality. It, it can't actually deliver on these promises. And instead, it becomes a prison of our own making. So why is this? Um, Rankin Wilburn wrote this book called Union with Christ. And in that, he says that choose your own identity. The emphasis that it puts on unlimited freedom often actually just leads us to paralysis. Like, who heard this as a kid? You can be anything you want to be, just believe in yourself. I heard that. Um, and that crippled me, because who did I want to be? I wanted to be Batman or an astronaut. And like when I found out how much work it takes to be an astronaut, like that was overwhelming. Like I didn't take my science in college until fall of my senior year, and it was like physics-based astronomy, and it was devastating. Um, my dream was crushed. But what we have is we're given this this the table full banquet table full of options. Be whatever you want to be, and that cripples us. Um, it paral- leads us to paralysis. And it also leads, this, um, this emphasis on limited, unlimited freedom also leads to a greater anxiety. Uh, there's a book called The Weariness of the Self by Dr. Elaine Ehrenberg. And in it, he just explores the question of why depression has become the most diagnosed mental disorder in the world. And his answer is that because success is expected of the autonomous individual... Right? You know what this feels like. You are expected to win at life all by yourself. You're expected to be what you want to be, whatever that is, all by yourself. And that leads to incredible anxiety. There's a quote on the front of your bulletin from Lady Gaga I want to read to you. Um, she did a HBO special like seven years ago, um, and this is a scene from when she's in her makeup room, taking off makeup, and she breaks down and cries, and she says this. She says, I just sometimes feel like a loser still. I know it's crazy because we're at the garden. She's performing at Madison Square Garden. But I still feel like a loser kid in high school, and I just got to pick myself up and tell myself I'm a superstar every morning so I can get through this day and be for my fans what they need me to be. Um, And if you are ravished by anxiety because you've been taught that you have to succeed on your own without any help from anyone, you're you're not alone in that. Um, This freedom enthroning narrative of choose your own identity ends up robbing us of the very freedom it promises. Ralph Ellison, who is a mid-20th century novelist, said that the search for identity is the American theme. He also said the nature of our society is such that we are prevented from knowing who we are. The nature of our society is such that we are prevented from knowing who we are. So our quest is for identity. We're always searching. We're never arriving. And going back to Frozen, the irony of this song, Let It Go, is that Princess Elsa um, is singing this song 
about her choice to exercise her power to be free while she is locking herself inside of an ice castle. Like she's making a prison for herself while she's singing I'm free. And this narrative of choose your own identity is everywhere, y'all. It's in the movies. It's in our music. It's completely um, pervasive. Um, One more quote from you. Andre Agassi, who is one of the most dominant tennis players in the 90s and early 2000s, in his book, he wrote this about, um, about himself. He said, during my childhood, I resented the prison of tennis. It brought me an unbearable burden of performance that I couldn't live with. The misery was that I couldn't walk away from tennis. And the burden just made me want to work harder, which made me resent tennis even more than I already did. I was stuck in my own little hell with no way out. As much as I hated tennis, I came to realize that it was all that I was. The harder the wor- I worked, the worse it got. The drug use started when I came to the painful realization that I didn't so much hate tennis, but actually hated myself. I had no me apart from the sport I hated and exhausted my life with. And do you hear what he said? As he lived in the identity of a professional tennis player, right, he saw it not just as his job, not just what he did, but who he was. As he looked at that to tell him who he was, it became a prison. He called it a prison, a burden, my own little hell. Made him hate myself, made him hate himself. I had no me apart from this sport I hated and exhausted my life with. I remember um, the second semester of my freshman year, um, I had just gotten a fraternity bid. I was on top of the world. world. This is before they started hazing me. And um, <laughs> I had put all of my eggs, all of my identity eggs in this one basket. All right? I looked to this group to tell me who I was, what to wear and what not to wear, um, what music to listen to, who to spend time with, everything. They answered every question. I let them answer every question I had about who I was. And what started out secure gradually became deeply insecure. And I found myself always grasping for something that could give me identity. You know, maybe it was like, maybe if I transferred, maybe if I went somewhere else, then I'd feel like I was me. Or maybe if I was in a different fraternity, then, then I would feel that. Or um, maybe if I wore the right clothes, like looking for the right label or clothes. Or maybe it was studying the right subject or it was the right relationship. Like if I could just be in a relationship, then I would know who I am and have a sense of self. And so I looked at all of these things to answer the question, to tell me who I was, and all of them failed me. Um, so how does this choose-your-own-identity af- narrative affect how we view God? Um, well, at best in this, he gets a supporting role, right? We might co-opt him into our plans, but we don't want him making plans for us. And in our quest to discover our true selves, it's hard not to see God simply as an authority figure who will constrain us and block our freedom. All right, we might keep God on call, pray to him when something doesn't go the way we want because, um, because we, we think he can give us what we need, but he's often just on the sidelines. Um, I just want to tell you tonight that, that this framework, choose your own identity, isn't the way it has to be. In the words of one student who is exhausted by the furious pursuit of proving herself, I had no idea that there was another way to be, that I don't have to go through life like I always have. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to briefly look at Ephesians, the first part of Ephesians 1, and see what it might have to say to us about the identity that God offers. So this is printed on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along there. Um, I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 for us. 
This is God's word for us tonight. It is completely true and it is given to us in love. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches, riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have been obtained as an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until God redeems his possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. So briefly, I just want us to look at what is it that God offers us that's different. And what we see from this is that God in Christ offers us an identity that's secure. So just two questions for the text tonight. First, what is this identity? And two, um, how might it actually have something to do with our lives? How can it change your life? So first, in verses 3 through 14, this is one sentence in the original Greek. And so in it, Paul doesn't take any pauses for breath. He doesn't punctuate his words with full stops. Rather, it's this snowball that gains speed and size as it tumbles downhill. And through this, he repeats this one phrase over and over again. I put it in bold in your bulletin. Maybe you heard it when I was reading. It's this phrase, in Christ, in him, through Christ. And what Paul is saying is that the identity that you long for, one that is actually secure, one that will actually give you freedom and purpose is found not in you, but in someone else. It's found in Christ, and it's found in finding yourself in Christ. I just want to look at a few things that he says here. Um, we don't have time to plumb the depths of this passage, but I just want to focus on what Paul is saying about identity. And he's saying that the identity that God offers us in Christ is secure because God chose us in love to be his children. Look at verse 4 with me. He says, in Christ, you are chosen before the foundation of the world. And then he uses this word predestined twice. And I know that to our American ears, that word sounds oppressive. Um, I remember the first time someone talked to me about it, I got angry. But friends, this is actually good news. Paul is saying that the identity that God gives you in Christ is his idea. It's his idea. He chose, he predestined. That means that you can't screw it up. He chose you. You cannot sabotage this. And, you know, I'm terrified of self-sabotage. Um, I was at the gym in December with a friend, and we were having a conversation about something, and he, um, he said to me, he said, John, do you have an existential crisis every single day? And I was like, yeah, I think I, I might, actually. And then over break, we were with some friends back in Virginia, and I shared that story with an old friend. And he was like, yeah, I could have told you that 10 years ago. Um, so every day, I have an existential crisis. 
um, I grapple at a very deep level, who am I, what am I doing with my life? Um, what about you? Is this, is this something you struggle with? Are you anxious about struggling, uh, about, are you anxious about screwing up your future? Are you anxious about hitting the right GPA or getting the right MCAT score? And are you anxious about this? Do you know who you are? Think about how hard you work socially and how hard you work academically, academically to present yourself to the world in a way that the world will accept you. Friends, what this is saying is that if you are in Christ, if you have faith in Christ, you can't screw this up. He chose you. You chose him because he first chose you. And you can't sabotage it. You're free to exhale, to relax. You're free to be not okay, to be honest about your fears and your insecurities and your doubts and your existential crises. Because the one whose approval ultimately matters chose you. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you. You cannot sabotage this. Last week, I was describing this modern identity, the choose-your-own-identity stuff to Mary Clark and how we're all on our own just figuring out who we are. And she said to me, um, she said, what you just described sounds like we're all a bunch of orphans. It's like, yeah, modern identity feels like being an orphan. In our quest for freedom, we have created the great American orphanage. You are your own to go figure out who you are. Good luck. And God says to us, in Christ, I have chosen you to be my children. And in verse 5, he says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to achieve your identity. He wants you to receive it. In Christ, he chose you, he adopted you, and he redeemed you. And this identity is secure. You can't sabotage it because you're not the one who secured it. Like If you were the one who achieved this identity, then you could screw it up. But your identity in Christ is secured by Christ. How does he do it? Look at verse 7 with me. Look down at verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. I just want to define this word redemption for us. Um, Redemption means deliverance by payment of a price. And in the Roman world, it was specifically used um, and applied to the ransoming of slaves. And here Paul is saying our redemption is our forgiveness because the deliverance in question is a rescue from the just judgment of God upon our sins. And the price paid was the shedding of Christ's blood when he died for our sins on the cross. So redemption and forgiveness and adoption all go together. And here's why you can't screw this up. If you believe in Jesus, if you rest in him and you trust him, if you look to him for the forgiveness of your sins, here's why you can't screw this up. Because this entire identity rests in what Jesus did, not in what you do. The gospel is the good news about what God has done for you in Jesus. It's his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. He has achieved your salvation so that you can receive it in him. And y'all, you cannot out God's grace. Because his forgiveness isn't contingent on your confession. It's not contingent on your repentance. It's not contingent on your contrition. His forgiveness isn't contingent on you cleaning up your life or being good enough or anything that has to do with you and your effort. What is his forgiveness contingent on? Look at the end of verse 7. It's according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Friends, he chose you so that he might forgive your sins through his shed blood on the cross and bring you into his forever family. 
The love of God has secured the cross of Christ for you. And all of this is yours. This is what Paul is saying. All of this is yours. Forgiveness of sins, redemption through his blood, and adoption. All of it is yours through faith in Christ. And he will never go back on it. He ends this in verse 13, saying he will never go back on it. He says, in him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And a seal is a mark of ownership and authenticity. And in the Roman Empire, cattle and even slaves were branded with a seal by their master in order to indicate to whom they belonged. But those seals were external, and the seal that God gives is a seal in the heart. He puts his spirit within his people in order to mark them as his own. There's some words from an old hymn called How Firm a Foundation that express this. This is God speaking to us in this hymn. The hymn says, The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Friends, Jesus is never going back on this. This is the identity that God offers you in Christ. And it's an invitation. Do you want it? Do you want to wade through life's waters as a choose-your-own-identity orphan or as a child of God? Do you want to navigate the rest of your life haunted by the anxiety of having to achieve your worth? Or do you want to live in the security of receiving what God has achieved for you in Christ? So that's what it is. And last, just want to look at how could this change your life? If you received your identity from God, how would that change your life? Well, let me ask you this question. What is the quest for modern identity for? What is this whole choose your identity thing for? Why do we struggle? Why do we ask the question over and over again, who am I? One of the reasons why this is so fragile is that it doesn't have a goal outside of itself. Right? We answer this question, who am I, with something that's entirely self-referential. And that, that answer often fails to answer the question, what is the purpose of this life? Or what is the meaning of my life? So what then is different about receiving your identity from God? Well, in the last couple of verses, Paul says this. In verse 11, he says, in him we have been obtained as an inheritance. And then in verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until God redeems his possessions to the praises of his glory. What is he saying? He's saying that God has redeemed his children in Christ to be given as a gift to himself for his own glory. He's saying that in Christ, the Christian identity is that you are God's gift to himself so that you might bring him glory and enjoy him forever. In Christ, your self-centered identity becomes a Christ-centered identity, and that's the only identity, identity that can actually satisfy you. Um, so we do this thing as a family. Every Friday night, we do family pizza movie night. And on Friday, we watched the, um, the first Toy Story together. We actually watched it on VHS, which I'm really proud of that we have it on VHS because it's that old. If you're unfamiliar with Toy Story, it is a movie where toys are alive. And um, <laughs> there's more to it, but you can watch it. Um, so something that's clearly demonstrated in these movies is that there's these two main characters. There's Woody, who's a cowboy, and Buzz Lightyear, who's a um, space commander, space ranger, and um, they're toys, and they derive all of their value externally through the love and the attention of their owner, Andy. And the most important thing in Woody's life, Woody's the, um, the cowboy, the most important thing in Woody's world is the place that he holds in Andy's heart as Andy's favorite toy. 
And so in the first movie, Buzz is introduced to the bedroom and to the, the toys, and he doesn't think he's a toy. He thinks he's a space ranger. And he has this, this shocking discovery that he really isn't a space ranger and he's just a toy, and this throws him into despair. He says, I'm not a space ranger, I'm just a toy, a stupid little insignificant toy. And then Woody gets in his face and says this. He says, being a toy is a whole lot better than being a space ranger. Look, over in that house is a kid who thinks you are the greatest. You are his toy. And Buzz looks down on the sole of his boot and he sees the name Andy written on his foot and permanent marker. And immediately, Buzz springs into action. He's saved from his despair through the, insur- the assurance that he belongs to and is loved by Andy. And in the same way, the value that we long for is found by being loved by God in Christ. God answers this question, who am I, by telling you whose you are. You are his in Christ. You are his child. And he not only loves you, he likes you. Like he delights in you. He actually wants to be with you. This is the good news of the Christian gospel. And so as we leave here tonight, I just want to give you a question um, question to consider or to wrestle through, um, talk to your friends with, spend some time thinking about. How do you answer the question, who am I? How do you answer this for yourself? And are you satisfied with your answer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this letter um, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and we thank you that you preserved it for us and that you speak to us through your word. And I pray for my friends here that you would help them um, Help them to know that there's an identity for them in Christ that is secure um, and life-giving because it's rooted in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.